going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. I'm going to guess everyone listening was aware there was a very major protest in Charlottesville, Virginia yesterday. It actually turned violent and turned deadly. And this was a protest or a march called by a white supremacist group. And the incident apparently that that got it all started was a decision in Charlottesville for the – they were going to remove a Confederate uh, General Robert E. Lee statue from a place called Emancipation Park. And so there were people who were kind of KKK, neo-Nazis, alt-right, white supremacists, just really your, your basic lunatic fringe extreme crazies in the country, but they called a march uh, there to protest the taking down of this statue. And so counter-protesters arrive. What I want to talk about tonight, I mean, first I want to quickly read you uh, President Trump's statement that he issued right afterward, which was, he said, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, on many sides. And then he also went on to say, I'm, not, I'm skipping over a couple of sentences to get to, he also said, no matter our color, our creed, religion, or political party, we are all Americans first. We love our country. We love our God. We love our country. These are the words by President Trump. But what I really want to get to tonight is what that symbolized, what that protest symbolized and really means to America um, and why it really does matter to you. First, if you give the most generous assessment to the lunatic fringe estimate of the number of people involved in these kind of groups, KKK, neo-Nazis, etc., it is exactly, it is at the very most, 0.06% of America. It is truly qualifying as lunatic fringe. And it's important to understand that because I think there's an effort among some on the left to characterize these crazy, irresponsible people as somehow representative of a more mainstream viewpoint or conservative viewpoint. These people have nothing to do with any political party, any political argument. They simply do not deserve our attention. But the main point of tonight's first five, the main point I want to get across and I urge you to really think about is the problem One big problem symbolized by this march is the growing acceptance of tribalism in America as the organizing principle of politics, the organizing principle of political culture, political conversation. Tribalism, especially on the American left, is rampant and it's on the rise. And the cure for it is Americanism. The cure for this tribalism is reasserting the values of America because white supremacists claiming white identity politics, they're no more evil than people claiming any other. They they are evil, despicable, etc. But anyone claiming that politics is determined by the color of your skin, by the country your grandparents came from, is 
really denigrating, denying the reality of the organizing idea of America. America was founded on simple, profound, timeless, radical ideas that each individual has rights from God and that we are born with those rights. And simply because we were born, we have the right to have those rights protected. So when I say tribalism is on the rise in America, you know, we're going to talk later in the show tonight about the now fired Google engineer, James Damore, Damore, how do you say his name, who wrote a memo within uh, Google talking about just in the most professional way, suggesting perhaps we should reconsider how we challenge the uh, composition of our workforce, how we view it, whether there's sufficient diversity here. Maybe we should. And so he talked about, he actually used in that memo the word tribalism. Why don't we stop judging people based on the group they appear to belong to or the group we assign them to and judge them as individuals, kind of like judge them by the content of their character instead of the color of their skin or their gender. Similar examples of tribalism in America trying to divide this country tribally Stanford, brilliant university, Stanford has a course this fall that lists, it's called white identity politics, which there is no such thing as white identity, number one. But the course is called that. One of the goals of the course is abolishing whiteness. Another, numerous examples, college universities around and universities around this country began having and humoring the idea of having black-only dormitories. And white privilege and white, just all sorts of courses to, uh, about white supremacy, the notion that when you came to college, you had to learn to re-identify yourself wherever you thought you were. You fall in a racial category. Many classes are filled with, colleges are filled with white privilege programs and retreats and themes and classes, urging people, driving race to the forefront of their thought. And instead of the idea that in America, our identity, as what unifies us as a country, is not hyphenated groups. It is the founding ideas of America. And all of this division, this hyphenated America stuff, drives division. It drives competition. It makes people feel like their tribe has to win, to the, and so another tribe has to lose. It's the only possible outcome of tribalism. Is, is you lose your right to be your, your identity, your uniqueness, and you win by beating out somebody else's tribe. You know, we're going to go off to break in just a second here, but I want to hit a few more points when we come back from the break about this great thing, this, this great idea of you can't cure uh, disputes and differences by driving tribalism and hyphens. You've got to surround yourself with the ideas of America. I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. We come back from the break. We have Patricia Anwuka joining us. Tell you about her in a moment. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. 
Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I had an interview just a few weeks ago with a unbelievably interesting woman, Patrice Anwuka. She's a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. At the time we talked, it was about an article in the Washington Post relating to black women who own entrepreneurial businesses. Take it away, Patrice. And welcome back to America Can We Talk? And as I mentioned before our break, we had a guest join, have a guest joining us this evening. And this is a woman I just met over the phone uh, named Patrice Anwuko, and she is with the Independent Women's Forum. Hi, Patrice. 
Hi, thank you, Debbie. That's great to have you. And you know, I when I emailed to talk with you or talk to Independent Women's Forum, I wanted to talk about an article. You first of all, say to our listeners, you hear an ad on the show frequently for Independent Women's Forum. We, they we run an ad for them because I love this organization. They are a rock solid, thoughtful, substantive, conservative women's organization just gotta love that um and they have a i think it's a weekly email they send out all sorts of tips but they had something i thought was so interesting there was a report in the washington post that was titled black women are working hard but our country is not working for them and it had a lot of data in it about essentially black women in america who are working hard and doing um you know completing education, working hard, and really kind of falling behind economically. And so Patrice from Independent Women's Forum has some great commentary about that. So that's what I want to hit on. Before I do that, actually, I meant to more fully introduce you. Patrice uh, not only is a senior fellow um, at the Independent Women's Forum, but she was also featured in one of their modern feminists uh, as a modern feminist. That was a great interview, by the way, a great commentary about you. Thanks. Yeah. So anyway, she's a interesting uh, life story, uh, but I want to get into the substance of this. Maybe we can talk about that later. But basically, this article in the Washington Post was a report, actually, from an organization that was trying to make the argument, essentially, that America isn't very fair to black women. And this was an organization that it published a report um, called... Um, it was through George Washington University and the Institute for Women's Policy Research, but they had some data that really it requires both assessment wise is true and then and what are the what is a conservative woman's answer uh, to try to solve these problems. So I was just going to start with one thing they had to say and hear your commentary. The overall point they were making is that women in America tend to work hard, own businesses, kind of do the things you think people should do to get ahead, but they tend not to. And then one example was. Between 2004 and 2014, um, six in 10 black women in America are in the workforce, but their median annual earnings declined by 5% in that time period. So just, do you have a general answer first to that kind of data, like what it represents? Uh, I think it paints a a realistic picture for the struggles that black women do have in the workforce, but it misses something, some really important um, key points, which is what are the types of jobs um, that black women tend to find themselves in? What are the industries? And then what are the, what is the pay for those industries? So, um, you know, when we look at uh, where black women tend to um, start their businesses or to work, they tend to be in, um, in the healthcare professions, in the care professions. Um, Black women are also over represented in um, low low skilled um, and low paying jobs and so now that you add to that the recession you layer that on which uh, you know caused massive unemployment you know double digit unemployment for everyone but for particularly for black women um, it was hard for them to get back to the jobs that they had before or to jobs and in general even if they got into work they're still not making a lot because of the types of jobs that they're in so the question is, how do we get black women into positions that are higher paying? And that has a lot to do with skill sets. That has a lot to do with the available positions and whether there's a mismatch between their education and skill levels. You know, that's I'm glad you went on that point. And before, I want to talk more about it. But the report that I mentioned that was cited in The Washington Post 
it gave some of the solutions from the kind of the liberal point of view, which had to do a lot with government getting in the middle of it. The idea that urged government and other public policy organizations to push for higher wages, to push for paid leave, to push for government policies to fix these inequities. And they have kind of a surface appeal, but you made a point in one of your interviews that they're really not the kind of solutions that bring long-term help to women. Yes, um, those are short-term, very narrow, my, narrow, narrow focus solutions. Okay, let's boost everyone's pay um, or or raise the pay floor um, for a year or two. But when I'm talking to a 25-year-old black girl who doesn't have who doesn't have a, a college degree, who doesn't even have a high school education, to tell her that you know $15 an hour for the rest of for the next 35 years in the workforce is going to sustain her and allow her to have kids, get married, buy a home, you know, experience all of the the, the facets of the American dream, that doesn't work. Um, and and so I talk a lot about you know how do we get young people, young black women, black women, white women, men, boys everyone into the skill what do how do we educate our, our young people with the skills that they're going to need and the information to know what are the jobs of the future you know we, we a, a great point to introduce here is into artificial intelligence and automation robots those automation is going to replace many of the low-skilled low-wage jobs that a lot of black women find themselves in within the next decade and so, you know, a boost to minimum wage this year means nothing to me if I'm going to be totally unemployable in five or 10 years from now. That is such a good point. That is such a good point. And related to that, you know, young women who are in jobs where they are, they are working hard and they're being diligent and they care and they're trying to participate in the economy, but they're not in a job that's going to have an upward trajectory of earning. They're never going to be able to make more out of their life by continuing to do their job well. They need to be inspired to look at different careers and also even going back a little bit further in their lives, they need to be inspired in high school and in colleges for sure to choose majors that will put them on a different trajectory. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, what's interesting, I was talking to um, someone at Nokia, you know, which is known for making tele uh, cell phones. They're thinking about technology in the future of the workforce and they're they're tackling these issues too. And some of the things that, that that company and a lot of other companies are doing is hitting elementary school kids, hitting wow. young women in elementary school to introduce them to the ideas of technology. You know, we call them STEM for science, technology, engineering, and math. I believe that's the acronym. Um, but to get young women excited, even at the elementary level, because I believe that, that data suggests that they tend to drop off probably middle school or high school. And then once they get into the workforce in these um, these hard sciences, the technologies, the, the business degrees, then how do you have mentor programs? How do you provide paths of, of, of opportunity in in tech and uh, for, for women in general? So it's a two-pronged approach. Um, I'm excited, really excited when I heard the president's announcement about expanding the number of apprenticeships by 5 million. Yes. That yes. is phenomenal because there are a lot of people who need middle skills they don't need a four-year degree they don't need to be taught progressive policies um, in, yeah. in college but they do need a number of skills um, for the jobs that are available in their local communities and so I think apprenticeships are a great way of, of earning while you learn I believe that's the term that the the administration is using 
Oh, I love that idea. I was excited when he said that too. You know, the other things that were other topics that were pointed out in this Washington Post article, which again was quoting from a study relating to the the, the genuine and legitimate concern that Black women in America work hard and are really their title of the article was "Country's Not Working for Them." But they were just talking about they're not achieving the dream and the, the successes they could. Another point they made in this article was there's a higher rate within the black and black women in America in owning businesses, but still having lowest. They have, and in fact, I'll read the stat: the number of businesses owned by black women increased 178 percent between 2002 and 2012, largest increase among all racial groups. And yet, in 2012, black women owned 15.4 percent of all women-owned businesses. And yet they had the lowest average sales per firm. So, mm-hmm. you know, other than price mandates to say whatever they produce, you have to pay more. I mean, what, what are the solutions for that? The free market, you know, love the American people kind of solution for that kind of issue. Oh, this will sound, this will be no surprise to your listeners. Tax reform that cuts taxes, cuts corporate taxes, cuts personal taxes. And this was important, particularly for for small businesses, which black women tend to have. Um, It's because black women and in general, those who have small businesses tend to self-fund. Um, their 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 businesses. So that means that they're putting money aside and they're pulling from their savings. Maybe they pull from family members. They don't have. They're not necessarily getting their funding for their their startups and their business from the from the bank through a loan or from a venture capitalist. And so we need to ensure they have more money in their pocket every pay cycle. We need to ensure that they can put money away to start their business um, whenever they want to do that. Um, and so you know. Let's also cut those mandates in, the, in terms of regulations that make it expensive to comply with new regulations, but also just impose new costs. These are all very uh, traditional conservative free market ideas that the left tends to always hit us on. But these are the things that are going to help women, black women, women of col- people of color in general to continue to own their future and instead of relying on the government to own it for them. What a great answer. We are speaking, if you've just tuned in, with Patrice Unwuko. Patrice, we have to zip off to a break. Can you hold on during the break? Uh, absolutely. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. 
IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm so happy you've tuned in tonight. And we are talking, if you're just tuning in now, with Patrice Anwuko. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Almost. Anwuka. Anwuka. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, and she is a senior fellow of the Independent Women's Forum, one of our favorite, uh, I think it was a think tank, but it's a conservative advocacy organization, uh, which is just looks into free market conservative solutions facing Americans. And they just have endless good articles. I urge you to go to their website, which is IWF.org, right? Yes. Yeah. Great, great website. Okay, so we're talking about an article that appeared in the Washington Post, and it was it was talking about, and no one's questioning the data as far as I'm aware, but talking about the fact that black women are working hard, but our country isn't working for them. A lot of data about how black women in America are increasing the numbers that who complete college, who found their own businesses, or business owners, they're working, and they're not getting ahead. 
And so we were talking just before the break about, you know, one way to help black business owners is to really get serious about tax cuts. It really cutting, cutting taxes, cutting regulation. And I'm telling you, in fact, I was telling Patrice on the break, I hear my liberal friends say, well, you know, that's just a Republican thing. They only care about businesses. They don't care about people. And I always try to make the point, no, businesses are people. I mean, this is a perfect example. Do you want to elaborate on that? Absolutely. I mean, businesses, many of we know that the economic engine of our economy are small businesses. And these are very often, these are just uh, individuals who, you know, are having running everything on their own. Maybe you have some that have one or two people. But when you talk about tax cuts, it's not just to, to big, nameless, faceless companies. We're talking about people who are individual small business owners who can keep an extra uh a few hundred, even a few thousand dollars in their pocket, and they're going to reinvest that in their business and growing it. Now, a point turning to the report, this is especially important for black women who, you know, are overrepresented in a great way in terms of um, um, business, starting businesses. It's it's phenomenal, 178% growth. It's, it's fantastic. But what we need to do is ensure that they can continue to start businesses and to grow their businesses by putting more money back in their pockets. You know, we know that small business owners tend to self-fund. So if you're if you're relying on your full-time job and you're putting money aside for your part-time, um, your small business or whatever you're starting, what better way to help you to continue to, to be able to um, build capital is by through tax cuts. And then let's let's scale back those regulations that that have both cost to uh, co- compliance costs, but also cost to just your your business itself. The the time that you're taking away to fill out paperwork, you could actually be out there hustling and trying to build your business, um, or just you know the the regulations in the healthcare and the food industries that make it harder for you to you know start your cookie business out of your your own um, oven at home and turn it into something that gets you know funding from venture capitalists on Shark Tank. I mean. That's, that's what we're really yeah. talking about. Yeah, we sure are. We sure are. One other aspect I want to touch on that was in this Washington Post article uh, relating to the where black women's function in our American economy had to do with the black, uh, it had to do with incarceration rates. And I just wanted to talk briefly about that, that the uh, data in here was talking about how um, I'm not finding it quickly enough, but essentially there's a higher incarceration rate for black women than their counterparts among white women. And they were talking about that as being, of course, that's a major setback uh, if that kind of thing occurs. And so, again, conservatives, we're law and order. We love safety. We love a safe society. But still, are there things that a, a conservative person could support in terms of trying to reduce the black incarceration rate? Absolutely. I mean, you're you're located in the great t- t- state of Texas that has been doing a lot of phenomenal reforms um, in terms of criminal justice. What we're talking about with criminal justice reform is not letting the bad guys out, but it's letting people who are low risk, uh, low level offenders, um, instead of putting them in jail and taking away opportunity and housing them in jail at the cost to taxpayers, which is in some cases it's like $50,000 a year, we're saying let's look at alternatives to a prison system. Uh, And so, you know, I think you can have uh, parole, you can do things like home, um, home, kind of home supervision. I mean, there are lots of ways that you can ensure that someone is punished for their crime. We don't want to let people off and not be punished, but we're saying the punishment needs to be needs to fit the crime and let's look at different alternatives that cost less but also having it will not cause someone to recidivate. 
I mean, the biggest challenge with incarceration is that these people come out, they have a, a record, a felony, and they can't get a job. So, of course, they're going to go back into whatever it is that they that got them there in the first place. I love that. And we have on this show, our listeners will know, we have featured the Texas Public Policy Foundation in the past and their commitment and the Right on Crime Initiative, the same points Patrice is making. If you have someone who's got a bad felony on their record for something, they, they weren't violent offenders, they weren't dangerous, but they did something wrong, but if they get out of prison and can't find anything else, they are likely to go back to what they were doing before, which really doesn't just harm their lives. It harms the lives of their families, the people around them who would love to see them rejoin the American culture, the American economy, and, and be part of our precious country. So I, I love that thought, too. I think that the goal of really liberty-loving Americans ought to be to have prison be certainly there for the dangerous folks. Yeah. There, We just can't keep ourselves safe unless they're locked up. Uh, but really look at ways to, it's, it's kind of, it, it kind of ties into the culture of America. We want to believe in the individual. We want to give people second chances to come around and, and, and join our society. So I love that thought. Okay, last thing. First of all, this was a, just such a fascinating article and topic, and I, I love what when you were, in fact, I will share with our listeners, all of our um, interviews are available on americacanwetalk.org. They're also posted in our Facebook page. We put links to all the articles up every week to what we're talking about, and this week there will be a link up for, to the article I'm mentioning, this interview with Patrice, which was actually on Independent Women's Forum website. Um, just all of her, because we can't begin to touch the depth of answers she provided in that interview but I, I love that and um, I guess the last thing is the um, you know the, the overall feel in America that we uh, the conservative side is just bursting with ways that we try to address the challenges in America especially the independent women's forum are they too to really uh, improve life for everyone so part it seems like to kind of wrap this in a pretty bow a lot of what you're talking about is really improving lives of Americans not just uh, black American women who are maybe struggling economically but it makes life better for everyone when people can function freely in the economy Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, what's interesting, um, the left tends to get into these kind of gender and race politics and, and the right, we, t- we say, oh, we're staying away from gender and race politics. You know, where there is discrimination at the Independent Women's Forum, we say like in wages, it should be called out, it should be prosecuted. And we have, a, 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 we have federal agencies and state agencies that do that. But we need policy solutions that don't keep, that, that don't um, put everyone on the same mediocre level. We want to allow people to, to take the freedom, their God-given gifts and talents and abilities, have government, instead of be a stumbling block, um, clear a pathway for them then to run and, and be as much and do as much as they want. And so, you know, the, this report, you know, paints life for black women as horrible, as, you know, really hard and tough and all based on discrimination everywhere you turn. And my point is, no, listen, black women, we are doing amazing things in every industry. And yes, we have challenges, like all Americans have challenges. So let's look at the ways to remove those challenges, especially especially when they're government-imposed. Absolutely. And again, we're speaking tonight with Patrice Anwuka. I want to say very quickly, Patrice, you were part of, you were given an award as a modern feminist uh, by Independent Women's Forum, which I think is a great thing. They just essentially like to honor women who are successful. So do you want to, in about a minute, tell us your quick life story? You grew up in, uh, it's like, it sounds, Montserrat, wasn't that the name? 
Yes. Yeah, I'm from a very tiny island called Montserrat. It's it's a paradise, except the government owns half of the economy. So you don't have opportunity. You don't have, you know, as a kid, I would not have been able to go to college and do what I'm doing now. Um, and so my parents, they, they moved to the United States, uh, legally, of course, uh, but they moved. We left you know, mangroves on the roadside to syringes and needles during the drug epidemic in the 80s in Boston. But I, every day, I'm thankful for the opportunity opportunity to be in this country. I went to college, went to graduate school, and now I get to educate other young women, other young people about why freedom and opportunity delivers the best results. Speaking to the choir, I just say preaching to the choir. <laughs> Patrice, great talking with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. And that was my fabulous, wonderful interview with Patrice Anwuka. So happy to have had her join me on America Can We Talk. And we still have, um, I want to tell you, she wrote something that ended up being published in The Federalist very recently, kind of on the same topic. She wrote about, uh, her article is called Serena Williams Swings But Misses with Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And her basic point in this article um, was similar to what she was saying uh, in what the interview you were just hearing, which is there's so much effort to make black women look and seem as though they are victims in America's society and that the solution, especially a, a place like Washington Post or other liberal outlets, the solution will always be grow government, make a new program, make a mandate. And she's saying as a lover of liberty, as a, a successful black woman in America, she wants to see freedom and the outcomes that come from freedom. And so I urge you to find the article in the Federalist or I'll find it on our website, AmericaChemiTalk.org. And then when we come back from the break, I really want to go back to our opening first five topic tonight about what happened in Charlottesville and what it means for America. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Come right back after our break. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. 
FLAG is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of FLAG is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. You know, that interview we just listened to a moment ago with Patrice and Luca, first of all, it is an amazing thing in America that it requires bravery for a person who happens to have black skin to speak conservative values. And she is really, I mean, she's so eloquent, and you just heard a brief bit of her. I encourage you to look her up on Independent Women's Forum. She does all sorts of interviews. But she is elegant and eloquent and well-educated and thoughtful and really passionate about conservative ideas. And so it kind of ties back to one of the points I wanted to make, that I just think there's so much for America to learn from the protests in Charlottesville, the reaction around the country, um, and, and one being the idea that a white supremacist who, you know, despicable human being and groups that they're just, you know, unbearably un-American. It's a minuscule portion of America. And political ideas have nothing to do with the color of your skin. And so if you, so what they, I mean, political ideas are about ideas. Do you believe in, you know, uh, raising the minimum wage? Do you believe in mandated maternity leave for women? Do you believe in their ideas that you can vote yes or no on? Skin color does not dictate politics. 
But one guy who was very happy yesterday, I'm going to say, is George Soros, whose main livelihood, his main mission in, in the world is to undermine America's security, to donate money to left-wing causes, to stir up agitation and frustration. And he, I'm sure he sat back yesterday and thought, this is great. I've got these people agitated in uh, Charlottesville, and they're having a major protest. And, and, they're, and he loves when the um, these crazy white supremacists come out and make America look bad. And so, but I really want us to hone in as if you're listeners to this show, you know that this show is dedicated to preserving the unique, precious, important idea that is America. It is the job of every generation of Americans to protect the idea of America, to understand it and protect it. And tribalism, the idea that we can have a bunch of tribes in this country. So we have, you know, the, um, LGBTQ Americans and the black Americans and white Americans, Hispanic Americans and the uh, and, you know, every other hyphenated group in this country. It is the antithesis of America. You literally cannot have America, the right idea of America and have tribes such as the left works to create. And I want to embellish that a little bit about what the left does. In this country, you will notice that virtually every Democrat politician, their mission, especially in presidential cycles, but but throughout the year, their, their mission always is to make a new group of people feel like a victim. You become the such and such hyphenated Americans, and then you are then immediately caused to believe, told you should believe that other Americans are against you. And so your goal is to win out against the other tribes, other tribes against your tribe. Very much like when America's forebears came to this country and we observed uh, Native American tribes who seemed to fight all the time and fought over territory and whatever else they fought over. And, you know, we thought, well, this is, we're going to form a new country based on ideas. So what the left does to America is to take us back to a backward sense of what America is supposed to be, a backward sense of what our country is. And I got to tell you, these people who try to base politics on skin color and say, well, black Americans think this, white Americans think this, Hispanic Americans think this, nobody thinks with their skin color. Skin color should never be a source of shame or of pride. You didn't do anything to get it, to achieve it. No one, you didn't choose your skin color. Nobody did. You didn't choose your ethnicity. And you can never achieve unity in America if you run your political messaging and your campaigns and your policies around a bunch of hyphenated groups you're trying to somehow pull together. And the American antidote to this tribalism the left thrives on is the idea of individualism. The idea of America, the idea of each individual as our Declaration of Independence provides. Each of us have rights from our creator simply because we were born. The country is there to exist and protect, protect the individual against government uh, overreach, against the notion of a government that's always trying to clobber you. So this is interesting because in the same week that this um, this uh, horrible riot occurred, in uh, Charlottesville, two things happened in the news I wanted to share. And again, everything we talk about in the show, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, or my Facebook page, America Can We Talk, and we list links to these articles I talk about. But one thing that was really, really interesting that was an article, it happened to come out this week before the whole Charlottesville thing happened, was an article by a black conservative named Larry Elder. And he's actually also a Salem radio host great author, writes great books, and he had an article about out talking about the shameful blackout of Thomas Sowell and Williams, who's referring to Clarence Thomas, Thomas Sowell, 
and I uh, can't think of Williams' first name. I love him, too. Um, Walter, Walter Williams. The reason I think this is so telling is Larry Elder is a voice crying out to America saying, why is it that you would have a taxpayer-funded National Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., paid for by your tax dollars, and there is no display, there's no mention of Clarence Thomas? Just think about that. The second black member of the United States Supreme Court, and he doesn't get to be in the liberal National Museum of African-American History. They, put, they just opened a new uh, display about some D.C. television news broadcaster. That made it. But a Supreme Court justice was not interesting to them. And the reason is, if you, if you don't doubt me on this, the reason is they cannot stand celebrating black conservatives. They can't stand it. Another example Larry Elder gave in his article was the, a magazine called, um, it's, it's a black magazine called Ebony, which lists every year the Power 100, the top most 100 influential blacks in America. Clarence Thomas had never made the list. I mean, just, just ponder that. Who the heck are they picking who could be more influential than Clarence Thomas? But he doesn't get to be on the list. Neither does Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell, who, by the way, is 87 years old. We've quoted him dozens of times on this show. He's a brilliant economist. He's a Ph.D. economist. He's been, I think he still is at the Hoover Institute in Stanford. But anyway, he's written many, many books, um, brilliant columns. Um, it was in 2015, Forbes magazine made a point that it's a scandal that economist Thomas Sowell has not been awarded the Nobel Prize. I mean, the guy is a prolific, world-renowned economist. But the American left and the black political left-wing cause cannot stand to honor a conservative black. So you tell me who's racist. Because the left is saying, you're not allowed to be prominent and viewed as successful if you're black unless we get to tell you what you think. We don't really respect, as a matter of fact, your right to think. We don't agree that the left-wing mindset does not agree that black Americans get to think and arrive at different political values than they have. That's what they are saying to you. Black conservatives are to be shunned, ignored. A similar one, Walter Williams, by the way, if you're in Dallas, we're going to go hear Walter Williams speak at SMU. I can't remember the date. It's in September or October. The economics department is bringing him there. I mean, brilliant, brilliant guy. He's substitute hosted for Rush Limbaugh a few times, too. He's a similar one, a, a fabulous uh, economics scholar, can not the left cannot bring themselves to acknowledge his existence. But the other interesting thing, so those articles came out this week with respect to Charlotte that relate to the Charlottesville story. But the other one that is so interesting, and I really think this is an opportunity for conservatism to grow, to, to, to speak up and demand its place in more and more venues in America. There is a liberal college professor, Dr. Mark Lilla, He's a professor of humanities at Columbia, so you've got to know he's liberal. He had a major piece out in the Wall Street Journal called The Liberal Crack-Up. And what he's basically saying is that the liberals in this country have spent so much time on identity politics, so much time carving out their niche of what you're supposed to think. If you are an African-American, you have to think this. You have to band together with other African-Americans. That's your group. You don't deviate from your group. Your group stands for this, so you stand for this. They make, they make all sorts of groups. And he's making the point that 
what we've accomplished through this, what the liberals have accomplished through this effort over the decades is that kids go through high school. They don't learn the history they should. They get, they start to learn more and more about their identity politics and who you are. And I go to college and I'm, you know, and I'm at this and you're at that. He talks about how this has changed college conversations. He says, it used to be in our universities that you would say, you know, um, well, you'd have a conversation on policy. Well, I think X, and here's my argument, and here's why I think this. He's saying today, college discussions are speaking as an X. I'm offended that you claim B. So instead of saying, I think that the right answer on increasing the minimum wage, I think that the right answer on affirmative action, I think that the right answer on marriage or uh, whatever we are going to honor as marriage – I think that the right answer on a thousand, you know, a hundred thousand issues used to be intelligent exchange of ideas. It used to be that actually in politics, the intelligent exchange of ideas. What it is now, what the left has created is a monster because so many people come up from the public school system in America and they think that they're in the, the argument's done once they have staked out their ground as a member of some hyphenated group. There is no more. And he talked about it has narrowed their interests. He said, actually, conservative students are more interested in policies and thinking through, if we embrace this policy, what will happen over here? If we embrace this policy, what will be the impact on America broadly? And he says, you can't get liberal students to think outside of their group. You can't get them to think. What is the long-term economic impact of, and I always go back to raising a minimum wage, could be a thousand things, you know, our, our border policy, our refugee policy, our trade policy, all the things that young people should be filling their minds with and thinking of and recognizing how important it is and, and you know, how much it matters that we get the policy right. That's what young people should be thinking about. But instead, all they do is argue from their, but from my perspective, because I'm a ex-American, this is what I think, and, and so therefore they can't hear what everybody else thinks. And he's talking about the idea. This is a seminal, important article. I mean, lots of people were talking about it, I mean, in the punditry world. But this guy is really saying, we have created a generation obsessed with their personal identities that by the time they graduate, they are not interested in the wider political world or any world outside of their own heads. And he goes on to talk about this liberal identity consciousness has marked a retreat from liberal political consciousness. You can't get these young people to care about anything except their little group. So I tell you this to say, folks, this is an opportunity for conservatives to reassert that our ideas are right for everyone. Ideas are colorblind. They are blind to ethnicity. They are blind to everything else except right or wrong ideas. It's an opportunity for conservatives to thrive. This is Debbie George S. Don't go away. <laughs> 